0: morning. Uh, We are pretty well through our goal of reading through the Bible in a little over a year. Um, We, several months ago, started, I guess you could call it a series, where we're looking um, each week at something you may have read with us in the daily Bible reading. And so this morning, um, if you've been reading this past week, you would have read through the book of Philippians and this morning, I want to look at this book as a whole together and, and comment on it and, and study it a little bit. Um, this is going to be very general and broad, but uh, I think it's very helpful and important, especially for um, these days where every week something new seems to come along that uh, we need to consider, um, we need to think about, we need to know how, as Christians, we can respond to what we see around us. Um, So we're going to look at Philippians. We're going to look at it. um, We're going to bounce around a little bit and kind of look at it as a whole here and not spend too long in any one section. But I encourage you, if you did not read this book with us last week or if you haven't read it before, um, definitely spend some time. It's four chapters. It's not very long, um, but it is a very hopeful book. And Psalm 33, which we read just a few minutes ago, ended the last line was, In you, Lord, we hope. So this is perfect. I didn't even pick that psalm, so this really worked out. Um, But uh, I'm really excited to talk about this this morning. Let's pray before we we look at God's word. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask, Lord, that your spirit would be with us as we sift through your words. Father, open our ears and our minds and our hearts to receive what you have for us today. May we leave looking more like Jesus um, than we did when we came in. In your name, amen. So at the very end of this book, in chapter 4, uh, you, so you can go there first. Um, Paul ends with, um, with this really powerful statement. Um, this is chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 9. Paul says this, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. When I read that, I thought, wow, that is something I would love to have in my life all the time. I would love to know that the God of peace is with me. I know it. Sometimes I don't always remember it. But I would really love to know how the God of peace can be with me all the time. So he says, these things, which you learned and received and heard and saw me. So what are these things? So we're going to go back and look at, I'm calling them six summary statements that Paul makes throughout the book. And like I said, this is just an overview, so we're not going to get too deep into any one of them. But altogether, these six statements make up um, the mindset that you and I need to have and the practices that you and I need to practice as Christians So that we can be assured that the God of peace is with us. And not just from a, I would like to know that the God of peace is with me sort of perspective. But there's a whole world out there that needs to know that the God of peace is available to them. And so we need to know how to share that with other people. We need to know how to live that out. So when other people see us, they say, how can I be assured of peace the way you are? How can I experience what you're experiencing? How can I live knowing that God is in control and loves me and can bring peace to my chaotic situations. See, when it's not just for us that we're going to talk about, but it's for sharing that with other people as well. So we're going to look at six summary statements. Now, these six statements, three and three, um, are all about two very important things. A lot of numbers, I know. Two very important things. And these two things, if we practice these two things, then we will be guaranteed can be guaranteed. We can know that the God of peace is with us, and he will be affecting our lives, and he will be permeating our thoughts and our actions, and then we can take that out and share that with other people. These two things that the book of Philippians really holds up as very crucial, as critical to the Christian life are unity and joy, Uh, You might know, if you know anything about the book of Philippians, you might know that it's the book of joy, and and, uh, more than ten times Paul um, mentions the word joy or rejoice, and we're going to look at that idea. But something else that he talks about in Philippians that is so crucial to the Christian people, to the body of Christ, is the need for Christ-like unity. Unity. I'm calling these Christ-like unity and Christ-like joy because people all over the world try to find unity in things and joy in things apart from Jesus. But in order to guarantee that the God of peace is with you and to be able to confidently share that truth with anybody else, we have to be experiencing and practicing Christ-like unity and Christ-like joy. And um, after we go through these these six statements, then I want to show you how I know the difference between Unity and joy found anywhere else, and unity and joy found in Christ. And I think Paul points that out to us so that we can be absolutely sure that if we are uh, living in Christ like unity with each other, practicing Christ like joy in our lives, then we are sure that the God of peace is with us. So uh, we're going to look at unity first. So go to chapter two, and we're going to start in verse two. Again, I'm, I'm going to try to give you, you've got to read the book. I'm not, I can't give you everything. Um, these, are, these are summary statements. Paul does a lot of teaching, and then if you see Paul say, therefore, or words like finally, or so, or things like that, you know he's kind of wrapping up what he taught. And we just don't have time in one sermon to go through all of these. Um, so I'm going to give you the overview. I'm going to give you the statement, give you a little bit of an idea of what he's talking about, and try to show you how I'm connecting these things. But I really encourage you to read through these things on your own uh, later today or throughout the next week. Um, to really get what Paul is saying here. Okay, so all that disclaimer over. Chapter 2, verse 2. He says, Therefore, uh, my Bible says, if there is any, you can also translate that since or because. I'm going to say because. Because, I like how that sounds. Therefore, because there's consolation in Christ, because there's comfort of love, because there's fellowship of the Spirit, Because there's affection affection and mercy, fulfill my joy, but we're talking about unity, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Paul is saying, because I know these things are true, there's consolation in Christ. Because I know it's true that there's comfort in the love of Christ. Because I know that it's true that there's fellowship in the Spirit, which brings people together in a way that is astounding to the rest of the world. Because I know that God and Christ are all about affection and mercy, then I am asking you Christians to be like-minded in these things. This, having the same love, that's the love of Christ, the love of God, showing that same love to each other, being of one accord, being united in the fact that we know that Christ is the answer to our biggest problem of sin and our separation from the Lord and acting in one mind. What Paul isn't saying when he's talking about unity in this book, he's not saying that we all have to look alike, act alike, say the same things. Uh, No, there's lots of diversity within the body of Christ, and that's important and celebrated by God. He created it that way. But our end goal should all be the same. Maybe we get there slightly differently. Maybe it works out in our lives slightly differently. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But our end goal, if you call yourself a Christian, your end goal should be the mind of Christ. You should be affirming that there's consolation in Christ in your life. You should be affirming that there's comfort of love, of his love. You should be uh, affirming the fact that we need to be fellowshipping and together and connected through the Spirit. And you should be affirming in your life that there's affection and mercy so great from the Lord that you are willing to uh, live your life for him. So Paul, right off the bat, says for unity, we all have to have that same goal in our minds. And then if you go to verse 12 of chapter two, he has another summary statement about unity where he says, therefore, so he he did this great teaching. Read it. You got to read it. He does this great teaching. Then he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Basically, Paul's in prison. He's writing to the church at uh, the Philippian church. He can't be with them, but he says, I know you guys love Jesus even when I'm not there. You're not just saying it because I'm there. You love Jesus. Therefore, my beloved, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Um, Different translations say it slightly differently, but the idea here is that as we are unified in Christ, again, our journeys might look a little different, but we are all about the same thing, and that is showing Each other and showing the world and showing everyone we come in contact with that we are children of God. So that may look differently in your life. You may be called to be a missionary to show that, and I may not. You may be called to a certain job that I might not be called to. You may be called to use your skills in a way that I don't use my skills. Again, we look a little differently, but we are unified in the fact that our calling is to show that we are changed by Christ, that we are redeemed by his grace, that we are saved by God. That's what our end goal should be. So everything we do, especially within the walls of the church, especially within the body of Christ, especially within our own community, we should all have the same goal in mind. And then for the third and final statement on unity that he makes, well, that we're going to look at today anyway, is found in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, there's joy again, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Well, if you look at the context right before that in three, um, chapter 3, verses 17 through 21, you get an idea exactly what Paul's talking about here when he says stand fast. But I think it could also apply everything else he's taught to this point too. But what he says in that last part of chapter three is he's, I mean, we'll just read the first verse there in verse 17 of chapter three, right next to what we just read. Brethren, join in following my example. What Paul's saying is to be unified together in the body of Christ, we need to be doing certain things and avoiding certain other things. And he contrasts his example with the example of those who only care about the earthly things. He says, um, follow my example, not those who, down in verse 19, set their mind on earthly things. Why? Because in verse 20, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. We are moving towards something different than other people in this world. If you are a servant of Jesus, this isn't your home. Your home is in the next life when the Lord sets up his permanent creation kingdom and your home is next to him. So we're all moving towards, or we should be acting like we're moving towards and living like we're moving towards that same goal. That's what unifies us. I said before that there's other things out there that unify people and people look for things to unify them together, but there's nothing quite so powerful or so everlasting as the unity that Christ provides To His people. And it's so important because you and I know that as we deal with sin, we're going to come into contention with each other. When you put people together, um, things don't always turn out so well. But as Christians, Paul says, if you want to experience the God of peace in your life, if you want to share the God of peace with other people, then we all need to be working towards the same goal. And we need to understand that as Christians, we are all working towards the same goal which is unity in Jesus. And the same goal is glorifying God. We're going to look at how I know that that, that that's what Jesus did in a second. But first I want to go through the joy passages as well. Because Paul's saying uh, living Christ-like unity and Christ-like joy is going to guarantee that the God of peace is with you. You won't have to have any question in your mind about it. So let's look at joy. Go back to uh, chapter 3. Uh, Now, like I said before, over 10 times Paul says the word joy or rejoice, and it's interesting to note that Paul is in the midst of house arrest while he's writing this. So there are many obstacles in Paul's way that are impeding what he wants to do to honor the Lord. He is a missionary, and he can't go anywhere. Uh, People have to come to him if they can even make it. He's under uh, house arrest, so he's got guards around him all the time. He's not free to move around even the city that he's in. Uh, So he is being impeded in spreading the gospel. But Paul starts out this whole book with saying, uh, I have joy. I'm rejoicing. Uh, So why does Paul have joy in the midst of all this? Well, because this is a Christ-like joy. And we're going to talk about how that's different than what we think joy is in just a second. But he says this in in chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, so that's another summary statement. My brethren... Rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Basically, I'm not getting tired of telling you so often to rejoice. It's really important that I tell uh, tell you to have the joy of the Lord. But rejoice in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord is very different than happiness. A lot of times we like to equate joy and happiness. And when I'm happy, I'm really joyful. And when I'm not happy, well, then I'm not experiencing joy. But that's not the joy of Christ. Happiness is something that ebbs and flows. It's a feeling, so it comes and it goes. But Christ-like joy is a constant, consistent belief in the hope of God's promises. And God's promise that if you're his, you will be saved. If you're his, you will be perfected. If you're his, you will spend eternity with him in his kingdom And so joy allows me to, no matter what, the valleys or the peaks that I'm experiencing, I know there's something better coming. And when I'm in a valley, that's really helpful that I know there's something better coming. And when I'm in a peak and everything seems great, then I I can remember that this is not as good as it gets. It's only going to get exponentially better than this. So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord because the Lord is that constant hope. He's proven himself before uh, throughout the whole, my Bible's a little thick, throughout the whole, like every page here, he's proven himself. He proves himself there too. But if you're just at this point in Philippians, the Lord has proven himself faithful and that every promise he makes, he will keep. So we can have joy in the fact that there is hope in God, and that's through Christ, uh, which we're going to look at in a second. But now go to 3.15, okay, for his next summary statement on joy. He says, so thinking about that, rejoicing in the Lord. Then he says this in verse 15 of chapter 3. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature. So if you're here today and you're a Christian and you want to be a stronger Christian, you want to grow in your Christian faith, then you are interested in Christian maturity. And I would bet that no one here would say, well, I'm interested in being an immature Christian. I'm interested in not growing. I'm interested in just staying where I am and being fine with that. Now, I, I don't think that if we're honest with ourselves and the spirit of the Lord is in our heart, we know that we need to get closer to God. We need to grow. So he says, let as many as are mature have this mind. So if you're interested in growing, have this mind. Think about this. Understand this. Act this way. Well, what's that way? Well, he says before in verse 12, I mean, you could even just look at the, the heading. The heading in my Bible says, pressing toward the goal. But this is what Paul says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. What Paul is saying is what Paul is saying here is if you are mature as a Christian and you want to keep growing, you will understand that you have more to learn from the Lord. And that means that the joy you may experience in the Lord now, you can continue to grow and have Greater joy in the Lord as you get closer to him. So we need to be thinking about this. And he's talking to the body of Christ here. If you think you've arrived as any sort of Christian, you're not very wise. In fact, you're immature. No Christian at any point in their walk in their life from day one to the end ever arrives where, exactly where they need to be. We are always to strive to be closer and closer to the Lord. One day we're going to get there and that's because of his, uh, that's because, that's, that's the joy I can have hope in the fact that we, I'm going to be where I need to be one day. But in this life, with sin still uh, infecting my body, I'm not going to be where I need to be. Paul said it, and Paul's going to be light years ahead of me. But Paul said, I understand that I need to grow more. So I need to grow joy more. And you can only do that if you're found in Christ. So then the third statement he makes about joy is found in 4, uh, verse 8. And he says this. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things to practice Christ-like joy in your life. I mean, here's how you can do it. To practice Christ-like joy in your life, you need to consistently, constantly remind yourself of the goodness of God. Like, this whole thing is about our minds and what we do with them. It's really important that we do certain things with our minds so that our hearts get the message, so that our actions get the message, so that we are showing people that we believe that we need to be living in in Christ-like unity and joy. And the way to find joy and the way to grow your joy is to constantly think about these things. He says it, meditate on them, marinate in them. Don't just think about it for a second, but spend time considering these things. If you want to find something that's true, noble, just, pure, etc., if you want to find those things, you can find them all in God's word. I mean, you don't even have to look outside. You can look right here in God's word. You should look outside and find those too, because that stuff's all around us in creation. But right here in God's word, you can find all of that. And you can meditate on that. And you can put a marker in it so you can come back to it later. And you can highlight it and write in it. And you can make notes. And you can um, really engage with these things. If we do that, I guarantee you, your joy will grow. It can't not. Because God promises that it will. And there's nothing I can do to stop his promise. There's nothing you can do to stop his promise. If you're following what he says, then you can experience the joy of Christ. So how do I know that the unity we've talked about here and the joy we've talked about here is specifically the unity of Jesus and the joy of Jesus? The, G, the, the joy that Jesus practiced in his life and the unity that Jesus sought in his life. How do I know that that's true? Go back to chapter two. This is the middle of the book. This is the hinge that the door of Philippians Uh, is resting on. If the hinge isn't there, the door doesn't do what it's supposed to do. won't open or close, right? It's just kind of there. So this is the hinge. And verses um, 5 through 11 are what we want to focus on. This is how I know that Christ-like unity and Christ-like joy will guarantee me the God of peace. I can't find it anywhere else but in Jesus. This is what he says. Let this mind, remember we're talking about how we think and what we do, let this mind be which you, in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is get the mind of Jesus in your head. Think like Jesus would think. Act like Jesus would act. Do what Jesus would do. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the, de- to, to, to the point of death, even the death of the cross. We get an amazing picture of Christ-like unity in just those couple of verses. Years ago now, um, Pastor Geary had this uh, great sermon on the unity of the Godhead, of the Father, Son, and Spirit together. And uh, before creation, and it was really, uh, really cool and really interesting to listen to. But what he said was at the end, what I I won't forget, is that they were in perfect unity and harmony together. And so God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit were doing their thing perfectly together. Well, then, you know, what happens in that story is that they create, and then sin enters the world by man's... um, Rejection of, of, of God's law, and then there's a problem. But God has a plan for redemption, and that involves the Son playing a part, a specific part. Now, I don't read anywhere in Scripture that says Jesus had to think about that, where he said, wait a minute, let's consider another plan, where he said, I'll let you know if I really want to do this. Jesus was in complete, the Son was in complete unity, with the Father. Why? For the glory of God. So in order for us to be in Christ-like unity, we need to be uh, doing everything for the glory of God, just like Jesus did. That's how you know if it's Christ-like unity. We can be unified in many other ways, a great speaker, same politics, whatever. It doesn't matter. You can be unified in many ways, but if you're unified in glorifying God, then that's Christ-like unity, and I guarantee you the God of peace will be with you. So uh, so Jesus was a full, unified participant in the plan of redemption, and he didn't, didn't try and get out of it, didn't try to change things. He knew what had to be done, and he did it to honor and glorify the Lord. Uh, but where's the joy found? Okay, so being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death. Then look at verse 9, it says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth. And of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus, is Christ, that Jesus Christ is Lord, what? To the glory of God the Father. The joy of Christ was in uh, the fact that he was going to come to this earth, live the perfect life, teach people about the Lord, what they needed to hear, die a terrible death that was completely undeserved, rise again the third day to glorify God. Oh, and be highly exalted, as it says there. You see, there was hope Jesus knew that what he was doing wasn't futile, or it wasn't just a shot in the dark and let's see if this works. He knew that this was going to all work out if he was was faithful to the Lord. And why? All for the glory of God. He looked forward to the end result, and his current suffering was, um, was worth the hope of being with the Lord and glorifying the Lord. So you see why Christ-like unity and Christ-like joy are different than just plain old unity or joy in anything else. It's all for the glory of God ultimately and it brings the body of Christ closer and the main mission is to glorify God. So that's great for me, but remember, the world needs to know that. Those around us need to hear this. People are looking for peace. It's kind of chaotic right now. I mean, I guess it always is, but it really seems like it is right now. And there's lots of divisions. There's lots of divisions among Christians. If there's divisions among Christians over things that uh, are not concerned with the glory of God, we need to take a look at that. We need to really step back and say, what are we, what's our end goal? How can we live that out together? And how can we glorify God in doing it? So to end, I just want to read to you how Paul ends in verse uh, chapter 4. Again, it's just an overview, so you got to read this book. Um, you'll get a whole lot more out of it if you read it. Um, but I want to end with this. And, and I guess, I mean, there's so many applications and all that. I guess this is the final application. Um, I don't even really have to explain anything about this because it just all makes, makes sense. If you're all about glorifying and honoring the Lord and you understand what the joy of Christ is... And you need to apply it to your life. Then hear these words. I'm going to start in verse 4 of chapter 4. This is a command. I'm also going to say that. It's what we are supposed to do. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And look at this. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Who makes it possible? Through Christ Jesus. To practice Christ-like unity and Christ-like joy means that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds. So if you don't know Jesus, the first step is, is, is knowing him, is accepting what he did for you. You can't experience any of this without first taking that first step, without first saying, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and there's nothing in this life that can bring me the same joy or the same unity or the same peace apart from you. So I need my sin taken care of. And the only way to do that is to put your full trust in faith, in the work of Christ on the cross and in the resurrection. So that's the first thing. And it's a free gift. And as soon as you do that, then the, the heavens rejoice because uh, another lost sheep has been found. So I implore you today to make that first step if you don't know Jesus. And if you do know Jesus... Then I implore you today to consider how you can be practicing these things in a greater way than you have been so far. Because if Paul can say, "I'm not there yet," then we all need to say, "We're not there yet," and we can do more to honor the Lord in our lives. We can honor Him better in our lives. We can be unified more than we are. We can have more joy than we do, and we can only do it better through Christ. But we have to be. Uh, we have to. We have to work on it. We have to know we need to do it. And so so I implore you to consider that as well. Let's pray. Gracious heavenly Father, I thank you for the example of Christ. I thank you that he showed your people how they need to live, how they need to act, what they need to say, how they need to think. Father, we struggle with sin and so we ask that you would help us. We can only rely on your power to overcome the selfish desires in our hearts and overcome the depressing nature of this world. Father, you're the God of joy. You're the God of hope. You're the God of life and life more abundantly. So I pray, Father, that anyone here this morning who's never put their trust in you would come to you, that they would put their faith in you, they would turn from their sin and they would accept the work of Christ and they would be made new, washed in his blood. And Father, I pray for those who have made that decision that they would um, be drawn closer to you, that we would take a look at how we are unified, at how we practice joy, and we uh, we can look at that and we can see where we need to grow closer to you, Father. We want to do everything for your glory. Lord, that's the only way anything stands or matters is if it's for your glory. Show us how to do that as the body of Christ. We thank you and we love you. We know you, you never leave us and you're right here walking along beside us and we thank you for that in your name, amen.